that are for a $1,200 profit, I'll put it in the bank. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll uncover it from the bank in nine months and it's worth considerably more. Of course, you're placing a bet on the market. You're placing a bet on, on the watch's value, but I know. Welcome back to Young Smart Money. My name's Apple Crater and I'm your host. Now, I haven't had this much fun doing an, an interview in a while, but sitting down with Christian Zerone was, was really a pleasure. Christian is a vintage watch collector and he has a business where he basically finds these watches and he sells them to very high ticket clients okay we're talking watches in the tens of thousands of dollars this dude is dealing with on a daily basis okay and he's very young as well okay this guy is in his early 20s he is absolutely killing it in the vintage watch space he's got a lot of wisdom to drop on you if you are thinking about starting a business at a young age if you are worried about being able to find success in your niche, if you're worried that you don't have the resources to get started, if you're worried that you're not prepared enough to go out there and really build a significant business, this is the interview for you. Christian is going to get you in gear. He's gonna give you all the tools you need to get started and to find success in whatever venture you are looking to start. So without further ado, we're gonna welcome Christian Zerone on to the show to drop some massive, massive value on you guys. I hope you're ready for it. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It is my pleasure. So Christian is somebody who's very active in the vintage watch space, which is somewhere that I am not at all familiar with. This is going to be a very enlightening conversation for me and I'm sure for our listeners as well. So Christian, could you fill us in a little bit on, first of all, just like a 30 to 60 second intro on you and what you are up to right now? I'm 23. I almost forgot how old I was. I'm 23. Uh, I graduated from college, I think, two years ago. I went to Seton Hall in New Jersey. Um, while there, I was going to be an attorney. I was going to apply to law school, take the LSAT. And I said, you know what? Um, after much prep, this isn't what I want to do, uh, I, but I don't know what I want to do. I started a vintage watch company. I buy and sell vintage watches. Started off super small. Started with 10 grand, uh, which in the vintage watch game is literally nothing. Most of our competitors are really? off at least a million dollars. Wow. Um, in the last uh, four years, we've broken $5 million in sales, probably close to six now. So uh, yeah, we, we vintage watches. Yeah. <laughs> Exciting. Dang, there's a lot of stuff I want to hop into here. And this is, yeah, again, an industry that I have very little knowledge about. So um, I'm, I'm excited to learn. I'm always, I'm always open to learning about new things. And I think this will be a great, great opportunity for that. So first thing I want to ask you is at a young age, when you were just starting off, like before you went to college, before you, maybe before you were even in high school, were you the type of kid that was going around door to door, like selling people stuff or like starting lemonade stands or, or uh, what was yeah. that? Like? I, um, I, I always, I always had a business. I mean, I, I sold fake IDs. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> I actually made a fortune selling fake IDs. I bet. Like on uh, campus? Uh, yeah, all around. But I had kids like from all different schools I and mean, we were doing a couple hundred fake IDs a month. Like it was- Wow. Dude, Wow. Yeah. I could totally go to jail for it. Um, I'm really, really dumb idea. Like bad idea. Like in retrospect, I would kill my son or daughter if they're doing it. Cause yeah. it's not like, it's not stupid that it's really bad. Yeah. Yeah. You get but, caught for that and you're, you're in trouble. Oh, huge trouble. Like that's really against the law. So I did that for a while. Um, then, then when that was over, when I realized that was a bad idea, uh, actually, no. When that when I trickled out because I was in college and no one needed a fake ID, uh, <laughs> a, a catering brokerage firm. So I was uh, I was connecting with pharmaceutical reps who uh, hmm. sent lunches to doctors' offices to to, to have their audience. So uh, instead of them calling Panera or a host of ten or twenty other places, they called me. I was a concierge and I did it. So I made a ton of money there as well because you're middlemaning it. Yeah, everything yeah. I've ever really done was just you know I don't really do anything. It's just how do I middleman something um, and and maybe market what someone else is providing in a much better way than they can market themselves. That's a very interesting way of thinking about things because there are, there are so many opportunities to sort of be in that middleman position and, and sort of get value off of both sides of things. So how did you first get into that concierge service? Like that seems like a very obscure niche. Yeah. My, my dad's in pharmaceuticals. So I, okay. I, I kind of, I saw him like, buy lunches elsewhere from people. And I was like, this is a really interesting idea. You know, it's, you're not spending your money. Mm -hmm. like, so, so you're not really analyzing the price as much, right? Yeah. So there's room for margin. Whereas if it's just a regular person, you're going to shop around. Yeah. Pharmaceutical reps are using corporate dollars. So when I quoted them 60, 80, 400, you know, $100, $300 over what my cost was, where they could easily go find it themselves, they just didn't really care. Um, yeah, they just like, okay, sounds good. It's convenient. It's easy. I'm going to get there. I don't have to worry about it. And the doctor's going to buy stuff. So uh, that's, that was it. The, the business grew really quickly. Um, I, I probably had it for about two years until I started uh, Theo and Harris, which is my watch company. And then 
that just became a full-time job. Very interesting. So you basically just saw this opportunity here of like, all right, these guys have corporate dollars to spend. I can just sort of be somebody that they know of and be that convenience offer. Yep, exactly right. Awesome. Awesome. So then transitioning into Theo and Harris, what made you want to get into the vintage watch space? Is that something you've been interested in for a while or was it kind of just a spur of the moment interest? It happened. It happened when I was interested in watches for like two years. Okay. Uh, so basically until my final year in high school and, uh, and it followed me into college. I really, really was passionate about watches, but as a hobbyist, nothing else, never considered having a business in it. Um, and at the time I was, I was certain I was going to law school. There was, there was no doubt in my mind I wasn't. Um, and then week by week I became less certain and less certain mm. and less certain. And I started to say to myself, geez, I just don't think, and it's think cause you don't know yourself well, that well, that yet. I was only, yeah. 18, so how well do I know myself? I don't think that I'm going to fit in well in a corporate environment. I don't think I'm going to respond well when some miserable 65-year-old partner tells me after leaving at 11 on Friday, I have to be back in the city on Saturday at 8 a.m. This probably isn't going to work for me, I think. Mm. <laughs> so uh, I went to my mom. And I said, hey, listen, uh, I would like all of like the birthday money that I've received from aunts and uncles over the course of the last you know, 20 years. Um, I, knew, I knew it was in like the $10,000 range. And I said, could I take that and buy vintage watches? And she was like, what the heck are you talking about? That sounds ridiculous. So uh, she eventually let me do it. She's like, okay, if that's something that you want to do to keep yourself busy instead of getting a real job, fine. Wow. Not, but I meant real job like as compared to a college job. Like yeah. it was, okay, you could sell vintage watches instead of working at a pizzeria. Sure. It was, you could sell vintage watches and not go to law school. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then once I started doing it, it was, I was really, really bad at the beginning. Um, but I was addicted to building business and it was pretty apparent within, within a couple of months that uh, I probably was not going to go to law school. Like, wow. uh, certainly. <laughs> so was there, was there a tipping point where you were like, wow, this is really working? Or was it sort of, sort of just like slowly over time, you're making no. more and more? That's the crazy part. Um, it didn't really work until after I graduated college. Like really? I didn't really make considerable money until after college. What do you so, mean considerable? What's considerable? Uh, for you? Like the, the first year we only, the first year we only did a hundred thousand dollars in sales. So there's no real room in there to make big money. Okay. Uh, Second year, we did $300,000 in sales. So we tripled it and there was something there. Uh, the third year, we broke like 1.3 million. Wow. The year, we broke 2 million. So, you know. Wow. There's that's some growth. That's some yeah, growth. There's, there's growth. So, uh, so there, you know, eventually there was money. But when I was making this decision to, to leave the track, like conventional successful track, um, I had really no evidence that this was going to work. I had nothing. Whereas later I had evidence this was going to work. Once yeah. I graduated college, by that October, I realized, yep, this is, this is going to work. I'm going to be just fine. Okay. But before that, I was like, oh crap. I just yeah. made drastic decision my mother hates me for and i don't even have any evidence it's going to work am i, <laughs> am I nuts you know what i mean so uh yeah what made you what made you take that leap like so many people if they've been doing that for a while and they don't see like the, the, the results that they're really looking for and they can really prove to them that it's working like what made you want to take that leap uh, a lot i think a lot of ego i'm very i'm very introspective or i'm very um self-aware okay. or a lot of things. So I, I feel like once you see, once you say something a certain amount of times, as, as long as it as long as you're being reasonable, you kind of have to do it now because look hmm. at the I said look at the way I look now. I've been telling people that I'm building a watch company, that I'm an entrepreneur for six months, and now I'm just going to drop it and go to law school. This sound what are the optics there? And and maybe maybe that matters. Maybe those people do know something that I don't. So it really it really was a lot of gut. You know, again, I had no real evidence it was going to work, but I said, uh, let's just take this shot. I think that's the person I want to be. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%, 100%. So in that first year, you said you invested about $10,000. Um, was it in that same year that you did 100000 in sales? Yeah. How, how did that, that 10000 scale to 100000 I know. I, that's kind of, it's kind of yeah. crazy. I remember, I remember when I started the business. So we did the business totally like on paper from day one, which is really weird in the vintage watch industry because almost no one does that. Everyone does like everything under the uh, table, sketchy under the table. Huh. Um, I might have done that, like being a stupid kid, but my mom was involved. So she was like, no, you're going to the yeah. bank, you're starting a bank account. You're doing this legit, uh, which was 100% the right way. Yeah. But uh, I remember being at the bank, starting up this account, and the woman was like, "Well, how much, you know, to, to, to gauge the size of the account, whatever? I don't know why that matters, but uh, what do you think you'll do this year in sales?" 
And you think, she's like, do you think 30,000? And I looked at my mom and I was like, that's triple. I don't know. It sounds like a lot. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe 30. <laughs> and then we did a hundred. So wow. uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. That's unreal. So like, so you invested this $10,000 into like, I don't even have an inventory. Of how much watch Nothing stuff. else. I never, I've never spent, I never spent really a dollar on marketing. Um, really? It's all been inventory. Yeah. So I bought, I bought, you know, cheap watches in the beginnings. I didn't have a lot of money. Um, to, give point of, to give you a point of reference, I yeah. wear watches, not, not cause I'm you know, it's because I wear them because of my inventory. I'm not yeah, saying yeah. I wear watches that are expensive. Sure. I have inventory watches on a daily basis that are 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, $60,000. Wow. So, Oh yeah, that's that's and that's not even a big deal compared to what other people what? do. I'm I'm what? small, you know. We're still a small company compared to other vintage watch companies. So, uh, so that's what watches cost. To give you a point of reference, that's absurd. Uh, so with ten grand, you could buy like one good watch. You know, like, yeah. So instead of buying one great watch, um, I started buying small and expensive watches. Watches that were you know two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars, seven hundred dollars. Flip them, try to make a hundred and ten dollar profit, which was. Okay. Because you're never going to really, you know, I was never going to make a real business out of that. And I remember doing it and doing it and working really hard. And one day, my dad, who's not an entrepreneur, um, but he's, he's pretty good at business. He gets it pretty well. Um, he looks at me and he's like, how many hours do you think you worked this week? And I was like, um, I don't know, like this many hours. Were a lot. lot. <laughs> you know, was a lot. And uh, he's like, how many sales did you make? And I told him and he's like, how much money did you make? And it was nothing. It was like, it was less than a thousand dollars. It was something like $610. Sure. And he's like, so you worked for argument's sake, 85 hours this week, right? You talked about nothing but watches in six months. You sold, uh, you did a decent amount of transactions yeah. and you made $600. Like, is that what you want your business to be? And I was like, wow, thank you. Say it like Matthews. it is. Like gotta be an ass, you know? <laughs> But he was right. You know, I, you're, I was working for like 80 cents an hour, basically, you know, Jeez. it was crazy. So he said, you have to invest, you know, in, in more expensive watches. I understand they're more risky. And he knows he knew nothing about watches. <laughs> Listen, I know they're more risky, but it's going to pay off. Just do it. So I started buying slightly more expensive watches, 2000, 3000. Um, and it was so nerve wracking, but it worked. Wow. So give us, give us some context here for our listeners who might be wanting to start some kind of hustle where they're flipping stuff. Where were you finding these watches and then where were you selling them with little to no marketing? At the time I was buying on eBay and like okay. auctions, like, like, like um, not big auctions. Um, uh, what are they called? Garage sales. Okay. Stuff like that. Um, you're buying, you know, cheap stuff of, you know, fairly low importance or quality. Um, and you're, you're just trying to sell it for an extra 50 bucks because really when it comes to something with no comps in the market, what's the difference between 200 and 275? Nothing. It's the same thing, right? It's yeah. just, just a price tag. Um, considering there are no comps in the market, it's just an odd thing you've never seen before and it's 275. Okay, I'll buy it. Are most watches like that where they're not super comparable to other things? Um, in vintage, it becomes very difficult. Uh, there mm. definitely are watches with comps, but in vintage, it's difficult because um, there are so many nuances. There are so many nuances and condition is super important. So mm. even though I could own a watch they made 8,000 of, I, they may only, there may only be 10 in the world of this condition. Really? Oh, so uh -huh. mine's worth 80,000 and the rest are worth six. You know, it's mm. very, it's very common to happen. Wow. So, um, yeah, so that was, uh, that's how we started basically cheap, uh, cheap sites and, and just putting a brand on it and standing behind it, which was very important, but that was it. Was there ever a risk that you were getting fake watches at these like lower quality auctions? You know what? There's a larger risk of getting fake watches at expensive places. Expensive really? places. Yeah. Well, it's, is it really worth faking a $180 watch? Not really. Hmm. Is, it, is it worth faking a $9,000 watch? Mm. Oh, yeah. You know, so I, I would never buy off of like eBay or any of those places now because we buy a more expensive inventory and you just, you stand far too much to lose. You stand far too much to lose. Hmm. That's very, that's very interesting. And yeah, I guess, I, I mean, that makes sense. Like who's, who's going to bother faking a, a $100 watch when right. they could be faking a $10,000 watch. Right. Exactly. All right. So you, you were finding these watches at these low scale auctions. And then how were you selling them? You said you had put a brand together. Did you have your own yeah. company website or, or what did that look I, like? I launched with a website. So okay. the, we launched on February 13th and uh, of 2000 and 
what was it? 15. I have a, I have a watch in the back that says, Oh that. yeah. So of, of, of 15 and uh, we had with the Owen Harris.com. So okay. if nothing else, it, it, it gave um, a feeling of security and it gave a, a personality. Yeah. Uh, didn't really become a, a strong personality until later. It didn't become important until much, much later, but we didn't really find a voice until a year later. Um, but you know, we started, we started a brand, you know, if nothing else, okay. we started a brand. So how are you getting people to the website if you weren't doing much marketing? It was all on Instagram. And I was, I was running, I was running my Instagram, the Theo and Harris Instagram, and we had no followers. And I just, you know, was dedicated to posting one to three times a day wow. and just killing it. And, and, and at the time, you know, Instagram, you know, obviously rewards you for interesting content and, and doesn't reward you for uninteresting content. Yeah. So it was very difficult to post interesting content when our watches were by and large uninteresting, mm. you know, people don't, people don't admire $104 vintage watches. Sure. Uh, they admire vintage Rolex. So once you get into this game uh, and your watches get better, you're, content for Instagram, just, you know, exponentially yeah. increases in your, so do your followers. So in the beginning, I was just sludging or marching through crap every day um, and just trying to build through consistency. 100%. So what's the difference between like a $104 watch and like a $10,000 watch? Like, like how, do you, how do you even measure? Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, it comes down to uh, it comes down to you know brand is you know the biggest okay. the biggest thing. Um, it comes down to quality and condition. Brand quality and condition that's what makes desirability. Hmm. So um, yeah, for argu- for argument's sake, there are vintage Patek Philippe's, which is one of the world's premier maker of quality watches, okay. that are seven thousand dollars. Right. Um, but there are Rolexes, which are made, Rolexes are great watches, uh, mm-hmm. but from a technical perspective, they're much more simple and pedestrian than Patek Philippe's. Hmm. And the Rolexes, which are inferior technically, could be worth 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 grand. Why? Uh, because of their importance. You know, people you know, collect this particular model more than the Patek. So, you know, it's, it's, it becomes almost like, a, it becomes a game of, of reading or balancing this, okay, you know, what are the assets of this watch? Where are the downfalls? I appreciate it, but does the world appreciate it enough? You know, how many are out there? So if there are, if there are a dime a dozen, I really, I don't really have movement in price, but if it's a rare watch that I can create demand around, mm. I can kind of charge, not whatever I want, but I can kind of create a market, okay. you know? So uh, it's, it, it is complicated. I mean, there are yeah. harder jobs, but it is, it is fairly complicated to understand. But, but something you enjoy. Oh, I love it. I mean, and, and, and anyone could, could grasp it fairly quickly. Um, but, uh, but to be in it every day is dangerous. I mean, it's, it's a lot of money. It's changing hands. It's markets that are being made, markets that are being broken on a, on a weekly basis. So, you know, you can lose a fortune in this business. I mean, you can, you can, lose, you can lose a fortune. I've, I've met men that have lost fortunes. Jeez. Have you had any significant losses yourself when you were starting off or, or was it mostly... I've never really lost money on a watch. Really, um, I don't think I've ever. I don't think I've ever actually lost money on a watch. Wow! But I. Um, but I've been. I've been stolen from. I, I have had real problems with. Um, with credit card processing companies. Um, that's another really big thing. Yeah. Small companies, uh, which I guess is what a lot of your viewers are interested in starting. Um, uh, you have no leverage when it comes to these credit card processing companies. They don't really care about you. If you're doing, if you're doing a hundred thousand dollars a year, you're no one to Stripe. Like yeah. you're, you're a, you're a pimple. Right. So when you have a problem, they don't have your back at all. They, mm. they couldn't care less about your problem. So I, I, I was in the shower. It was Thanksgiving day, like two years after I started the company. And uh, I got a bunch of emails and uh, there were $24,000 in chargebacks, stolen uh, you know, fake credit cards, stolen watches. Oh my God. So I lost 24 grand basically. Um, and Stripe could not care less. They were, it's a terrible, terrible company. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't advise against them more. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I tried to explain to the people, you don't understand. I mean, I, you approved the charge. You yeah. approved it. You told me to ship. You're the credit card company. Why am I being screwed? They're like, sorry, sir. It's in the fine print. You know, <laughs> uh, it's really, really bad. So I don't think that people, um, young people, especially kids that grew up in nice neighborhoods and kids that grew up, you know, pretty yeah, privileged. Pretty well off. We don't get like, people are out to get you a little bit, you know, like companies. They're not looking out for you. No, no, they're not, you know? So I grew up in a place that was, you know, kids grew up. I, and I was one of the tougher kids, but still, even I was feeling naive. Um, whereas my, my dad grew up in the, in the ghetto and, and, he, and he, was, he was like, you know, super pessimistic and super cynical from day one. 
And my mom was always like, Rolando, stop it. Like, child, you can't, you know, you know, jade him, like make him jaded, you know, it's terrible. But he was probably right. Wow. That's, yeah. that's wild. That's, that's a significant, I mean, at that point, was that a significant loss for you? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I was two years in, so sure. I had done a hundred thousand dollars in sales. Or I'd done a hundred and you know, 20, but you know, how much cash did I have at that moment? Not a lot. Maybe I had 30 grand in cash. They stole 24. I had a lot of inventory, wow. you know? So great. Now I have four grand or, or six grand. How do I run this business on six grand? Yeah. You know? And how long before I build up an inventory or build up, uh, build up cash again? So it was, it was scary. I mean, it was, it was the worst Thanksgiving ever. That's for sure. Jeez. I bet. So oh, yeah. on average, like how long are you sitting on a watch for? Like, like how, how fast these things depends, move? man. You know, what's kind right. of funny. Like, like I, I buy certain watches and flip them in, in, in six hours or two hours. Wow. I buy stuff and put it in the safe and don't look at it for months. Like there mm. are watches that I like, uh, for example, Rolex GMT master, right. Uh, invented the 1950s. It was uh, conceived to kind of uh, go on the wrist of the jet set, the people that were traveling all over the world at the time, mm-hmm. all over America, um, important people. Sure. This watch is increasing in value now rapidly. My dad, my mom gave my dad one uh, 10 years ago for four grand. Now they're worth like 13. Wow. Right? So instead of selling one right now for a $900 profit or for a $1,200 profit, I'll put it in the bank. Now I'll, I'll, I'll uncover it from the bank in nine months and it's worth considerably more. Of course, you're placing a bet on the market. You're placing a bet on, on the watch's value. But I know this game pretty well and that watch isn't going anywhere but up. So mm-hmm. why sell it? Why make, why make yeah. 800 when I can make 1,900 in, in nine months you know, or, or eight months? So uh, you know, it's, it's very circumstantial. That's very interesting. So how, how cyclical is the watch market or like what, what does it look like as far as like trends go? Every uh, it's built of micro markets. It was like everything else. I mean, everything is so different. Um, Paul Newman, Daytona, it's a vintage Rolex chronograph. They were, they were uh, 10, $20,000 watch in the Mm nineties. They sell now between a hundred and a million, hundred thousand and a million dollars a piece. So yeah, that's a good example. Uh, Paul Newman's watch himself. Paul Newman's Paul Newman sold for eighteen million at auction. Uh, wow, 18, 18 million bucks. I was there. It was wild. Uh, it was unbelievable. So watches are watches are hot. I mean, it's it's it is a big thing. Um, there are a lot of people who have a lot of money, man, and, and they they don't know. One, they don't know what to do with it is, is like what we always say. Like a lot of people just have so much money. They don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people are really very smart with it. They're not just buying things that they want. They're buying things because they're educated and they know that it's going to be ultimately a really, really good investment. So it becomes an asset class. You know, you didn't just, you know, put it this way. You invest in real estate. $4 million mm-hmm. is not a lot of money invested in real estate, right? You, you, can't, you can't buy a, build, a big building for $4 million. Sure. Uh, but a $4 million watch is top in the world. I would imagine so. so. You know, and, and, there's, and there's no maintenance, more of a passive income kind of thing. So although you're not collecting cash every mm-hmm. month, in theory, this watch is increasing in value. It's only sitting in a bank. And uh, not only do I get to enjoy it as the billionaire that I am in this scenario, uh, and, and everyone knows that I own it, which is a huge publicity thing, but I'm making money every year, you know, in theory. Yeah. You know, it, it happens that way quite often. It happens that way very often. That's very interesting. Wow. There's, there's yeah. so much to this industry that I just had no concept of. Can, oh, you, yeah. can you share with our listeners a story of, of maybe one of the most expensive watches that you've ever purchased or like one of, one of the coolest stories? Um, yeah, there was, there was a watch. I'm trying to think. Um, I have so many stories of expensive watches. For example, this one comes to mind. Um, I, I, I bought and sold a watch a, um, a Rolex Mariner in yellow gold with a presidential bracelet. So if, you, if you're a watch guy, um, Rol- the Rolex Mariner was one made in steel predominantly. Um, so gold models are both polarizing and rare. Okay. But the bracelet uh, was the really special part. Um, these watches came on almost always one particular kind of bracelet and I had one on a different kind of bracelet. Hmm. So to the normal person, they may say, okay, well, what's the difference? There's a different style. Yeah. No, when they were making a thousand in one style and two in another, you know, that becomes an extremely collectible watch. So that watch demands, there's the style of bracelet. It's no more gold. It's no more anything. Mm-hmm. The style of bracelet could demand 10 or $15,000, just the style, you know, it, it, wow. it, 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 
cycle. That watch, I think, sold at 40 grand um, to, uh, to, a, to a really great client, to a, to a wonderful guy. But, um, you know, I, I just sold a, a wonderful Patek Philippe. Um, I sold that for somewhere in the mid-40s um, off to a client in, in Hong Kong. Wow. It, it never ends. I mean, it really never ends. So do you mostly do business with some uh, like a, a few really high profile individuals or, or is it very spread out? Not really. I mean, I really, I'm definitely not one of the dealers that's known for having high profile clients. I have some, okay. I have some clients that it's funny. Like I'm a, I'm such an unimportant person in the world. Comparably, you know, I'm just a kid selling watches and building a small business, but there are, there are people that I sit with and I'm like, you actually control very important things in this world. Like this is, wow. weird. you know, it's, it's, it's cool. And, and I, I laugh because my dad and I say like, I'm totally unqualified to have dinner with this person, <laughs> right? Like there are, there are a million people that would kill for this. Um, and, and in business, it would never happen. Right. But we're here because we both like watches. Our common ground is a passion, you know, so that's an amazing opportunity. Um, but uh, there are dealers that have built their whole businesses on being the dealer to the stars. Um, there are a couple of guys out in California that put Rolexes on Ellen DeGeneres weekly. You know, it's, it's amazing. Wow. That's really interesting. So like where, I mean, I'm, I'm not somebody who is super, I mean, I'm, I'm not well-versed in watches at all, but like, where does the interest come from in watches? Like where, what, what makes people so drawn to, to these things? A lot of things. I mean, uh, mass market, people are drawn to them because they're jewelry, you know, as far as most people, okay, it's a Rolex. It's a, it's a thing that yells I'm rich, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, but once you get into the vintage world, it becomes much more nuanced. Um, you're talking about history. You're talking about something again, as an asset class, you're talking about something that uh, on a personal level means more to you than almost uh, all other things because one, it, it is, it is a significant thing, but it will be there forever. So for instance, um, um, what's a good example? Cartier. Cartier is a great example. Um, they're good watches. They're, they're really good watches. Some of my favorite, you know, brands in the brand in the world, okay. uh, but I can't tell you how many times I've sold a Cartier to a client and, and their sentiment was my dad had one of these like, Hmm this is really cool, man. Like, like I remember like sitting there like in the living room and he'd read a book and we'd hang out and like, I don't know where his is, but I'm so glad that I can like have one and be like him. Dang. Like that is, and those are moments that are awesome. Cause it's yeah. not material. It's not about, Oh, I'm rich. It's about like this thing means something to me that is greater than the time. Time means nothing <laughs> and is greater than how much it costs. You know, it's emotional. Hmm. That's very interesting. What kind of watch are you wearing right now? Right now I'm wearing a vintage Piaget. Um, it's, a, it's an ultra thin watch at one point. I believe it was the thinnest watch uh, movement in the world. Wow. Now it's, it's still thin, but not, uh, not so thin compared to you know, some modern pieces. Um, my taste is a little bit more obscure. I like, uh, I like things that are medium investments, not the best investments. Um, okay. Just my taste, you know, it tends to just be a little bit more uh, odd as opposed to mass market. But, um, you know, we do, we do like consulting for some big guys um, that want to build really just an investment, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just investment portfolio. That's really interesting too. Uh, I have a client out in Malta that, uh, that just wants to have a safe full of watches. He could theoretically enjoy, but watches that will be worth, you know, a considerably larger amount in 20 years. You know, it's, uh, it's an interesting market. That is that there's yeah wow this is an area that I had no no knowledge of and it's very interesting to be able to sit down with you and and, and learn about this. So I want to dive more into sort of your entrepreneurial journey and starting this business now um backing off of the watch side of things a bit. And uh can you sort of share with us uh, who who were the mentor figures in in your life when you were starting this business because I'm assuming you had some people you were looking up to. Yeah, my my dad gave me some great advice. Um he he was he's a very quiet guy but every time he did like open his mouth about it, he nine times out of 10, it's something very, very insightful hmm. to say. And, and many times something that, sorry, no worries. And many times something that ultimately ended up being, uh, you know, hugely impactful to my business. My dad told me to go on YouTube. Like our business right now is successful because of our YouTube channel wow. um, by and large, but we do probably more business on YouTube than any other medium. Um, and my dad, we were writing articles at the time and my dad was like, what the hell are you doing with this article <laughs> crap? He's like, get on YouTube, like be passionate, let people see your face, let people get to know you. You're going to sell more watches. Yeah. You know, it's stuff like that. So my dad was a great mentor. 
Um, I, I look up to a lot of people in my family um, for a lot of different reasons. I, I work a lot, but my uh, my greatest pleasures are probably ultimately derived from family. So mm. in different ways, my family is is my great inspiration. Um, and then I got to meet, like I told you, such brilliant people, people that I would never have otherwise had the opportunity to sit down with in business. Um, uh, so they became great advisors. Uh, I have some very few, but some wonderful friends now um, that are tremendously successful. I mean, owning companies that are worth dozens upon dozens of millions of dollars that I can like text for advice or like catch up over Negronis and like hear about their problems and they hear about mine and I leave like knowing like, you know what I mean? Like I, you, that, you can't yeah. pay for that. Yeah. You know, you, so I'm, I'm very, very lucky, believe me. Oh, that's huge. That's so huge. And that's, that's and one of the one biggest thing things. I, I, yeah. One thing I think is super relevant to your, to your audience base. What yeah. you'll find out is there are so many guys out there that are in their thirties and forties and fifties that are still young enough to be hip and tuned in to what's going on and how to build a big business that will take such quick interest in someone that's 17, 18, 19, 20. Oh yeah. Part so much knowledge. Cause they're like, you know, it gets to a point where you have enough money. Right? These guys, they, they have enough money. How much money do you need? Like, like you, it gets boring after a while. It's no longer an achievement. Yeah. But if I can school this kid or if this kid's success can be even partially to my credit, that's cool. That's a legacy. They, they love that. So I've, that's some of the things that I've really been able to build so much on. And, uh, and your audience should definitely understand that. A hundred percent. When someone wants to help because. Yeah. Oh. When, when you can find somebody who's in that position that you want to get to and they're willing to like give you some of their time or just like willing to let you work for free for them, like that is huge. That's how I've grown multiple businesses is just like offering to work for people for free, building yeah. that relationship, building that rapport. And then from there, you just have that connection. Yeah. And, and it's the way you conduct yourself is so different. You know, we can even tell speaking to you. I mean, uh, how, how old are you? I'm 20. So, I mean, speaking to you, and I'm, I'm only 23, so you and I are basically the same age, but it, it's funny. It's, it's not like talking to a 20-year-old or a 23-year-old, right? Because you're constantly surrounded by people that are older and more experienced, and they just have, they have, they have real businesses and yeah. all that stuff. So, you end up speaking to people in a business relationship um, that are older, they're your clients. Ultimately, older people are typically the decision makers, mm -hmm. and they forget that you're 20. Yeah. Like they, I don't really care. I don't really care that you're 20. Like the fact, the way you're behaving, I forget. You know, that's, that's what happens, especially on these big deals and stuff. You're probably not going to sign a million dollar contract with a, with a 23 year old. Odds are, yeah. you know, some of these businesses. But if you can, you know, if you can behave in a mature fashion, you know, it's, it's very valuable. 100%. And a lot of times that age, people think like, oh, I'm too young. No one's going to take me seriously. Yes. But for me, I've been using that as an advantage. Like when I was, man, I wish I was still 19. I just turned 20. And I'm like, dang, there's such a big difference between saying I'm 19 and saying I'm 20. Because if I'm 19, and I conduct myself in a way that they see me as like a professional and somebody who knows what they're talking about. That's so valuable. Because they're like, wow, this kid is ahead of the game. This kid is really getting yeah. after it. Like I, I look up to that. I, I, I admire that. That's like, I see myself in that. So yeah. I, I really do use my age as an advantage. Definitely, definitely. And, and another virtue is um, uh, figuring out who your audience is. And, and although you don't know who they, let's say it's a 38-year-old guy sure. from New York, right? Uh, who you're pitching to or who, whatever. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've, you know, I've obviously researched my pitch like anyone else would. You, you, you perfect your offering and you figure out how am I going to close this deal? But then you think, okay, what is a 34-year-old from New York? Like, like, who is this person, right? What kind of cultural things does he know that I otherwise wouldn't? Like, how can I connect mm -hmm. with him on that level? Because um, that's just so valuable. I grew up in kind of an old family. So I kind of knew a lot of things about, you know, the 80s, 70s, 60s, 50s. So I was able to connect with some of my clients in such a deep level, like The Honeymooners is a, is a television show, I think from the 50s. Uh, that I could recite like, like no one else. No one my age has seen that. I only saw it because I had no friends and, and my grandma used to watch it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't, I didn't grow up watching that because it was on TV, you know, but, um, but now you're able to connect with people of a different age, right? Mm. Uh, schooling yourself and, and all, and all those things. When you're young, you have to catch up. Yeah. Right? catch up on shit like that. And if your, go, if your goal is to be someone who can connect with these decision makers on a personal level, which it should be, 
you, you got to do your research. You got to pretend as if you were born 30 years ago. A hundred percent, hundred percent. It's all about being able to speak whoever you're trying to work with's language, because when you speak their language, they're instantly going to connect with you so much faster and you're just going to have that rapport built so much faster. Yeah. And that's why people, you know, I, I always make a joke. Like everyone's like, Oh, it's, you know, deals happen on the golf course. I, I don't golf. I have no desire to golf. Nothing. Like, yeah. I can tell you this, like maybe, maybe, maybe a boys talk on the golf course. I don't know. But <laughs> Nine times out of ten, man, you put it. You put a drink in a guy's hand, and 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 you sit down and you level about something that they're passionate about. And I don't care how well you play golf; it does not. It doesn't even. <laughs> it does just open your eye, open your ears, shut your mouth, wait for the right moment, and then you then you give your little spiel. And even if it's a thirty second spiel, mm. you know, you weave it right in. That's where. I've found that deals have been made. Now, again, my deals are very small compared to other people's. So maybe there's other advice that is much better, much you know, much more effective. Um, but uh, but in my experience, just that that's the way to go, man. Have a have a ice cold drink, you know, <laughs> a, a nightcap, and and uh, you know, just talk. Well, I might have to see if uh, your your fake ID business is still up and running because. Uh... <laughs> Don't think I have access. Business, I I couldn't have a drink. So when clients who were much older than me, they're like, "Oh, you let's meet up for a drink, and maybe I'll buy the watch." I used to just pray no one would card me because I had a fake ID. But how embarrassing is? Oh, that'd be. You're about to buy an eight thousand dollar watch, and I'm going to get denied with my fake ID. Like how how awful is that? (laughs) You know. So uh, I was I was very nervous. Oh my god, that's ridiculous. Legally drink so. Uh, deals are, are much easier with, I don't have to run into the fake ID. Yeah. You know, yeah, I would imagine. So I would imagine. So, um, another thing that I'm curious about is at this point you have built a team, um, and your business is no longer just you. So can you sort of talk about that process and when you started just, when you decided to start bringing on additional help? I, I had a, I had a small team from day one. Um, really? when I first started, my mom helped me just cause okay. she my mom, you yeah. know, she helped me with some shipping when I was in college. Um, Anna is, uh, is our director of content and advertising. Okay. She's worked for me basically from day one. She took photos and then, you know, content and all that stuff. Um, Aaron's our webmaster. Again, day one employee, built a website. Wow. And over the, over the years, over the four years, uh, I've not only given them considerable, considerably more responsibility, um, but I've hired one or two to, to two, three more freelancers to, to work. So uh, I'm, I'm kind of say like, I'm not good at that much. So I don't pretend to be, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm, I'm not, I mean, yeah, ultimately if you're the CEO, you're the wearer of a million hats, but Really, I like to defer to the people who are paid to do it, people who are professional, people who have way more experience than I do. Um, I, I guess I'm controlling in a way, but I'm really not. I'm super laid back um, because that's why, that's why it's your job, right? <laughs> because like, I gave you the job because you're better at it than me. So why am I going to micromanage you? you know? uh, I, I never thought this company would be me alone. I just never envisioned it like that. I, I think I had a, a fairly big picture understanding from, from the start. Wow. Comparably. So have you had people from day one, were you paying them from day one or you were giving them oh, equity yeah. or what did that look like? Oh yeah. No, I'm, I'm the sole owner. So again, another thing I understood from day one was the importance yeah. of equity. Uh, don't get hey, kids. Don't give away equity. <laughs> I don't have to because it's fucking stupid thing to do. Uh, I'm just kidding. You can have a partner and still make a fortune. There's no doubt. Um, and more importantly, be happy. But uh, you know, but I, I was going to take on a partner. I got an offer to buy out a big portion of the company a couple of years ago. And uh, I was going to meet up with a friend before that, uh, the, the night before, for dinner. Um, and, uh, and he said to me, you know, he kind of knew, he kind of knew that I was entertaining this idea. It was like 30% of the company. Okay. And um, he was like, it's a really bad idea. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry? And he was like, it's a really bad idea. You're going to regret it for the rest of your life. Oh my. And I was like, Why? Like I started the business with $10,000 and for 30%, I can get a lot more than that now. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't I sell it? Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then he gave, you know, the big spiel about, you know, ultimately as, as, as the owner, you should take it as far as you can until you're no longer, yeah. you know, the right CEO or the right owner or whatever it is. And then you sell it. That's fine. But he said, you, you know, you take on a partner when one plus one equals three, right? Mm-hmm. If one plus one equals two, you're just splitting it. Yeah. So you get the same in the end. Now you report to someone that's bad. <laughs> like <laughs> this is stupid. 
right? Um, but uh, but if it equals three, now 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 there's a there's a benefit here. Yeah, you know. So uh, it didn't it didn't equal three. You know, the partner I was considering on taking was not the right partner for me, and uh, for a lot of reasons. And I didn't. And Jesus, thank God that they did not sell that because that I I I, I don't know what I'd be doing right now. I would I would hate my life. I think. Wow, really. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would hate it. it. (laughs) That's a really valuable nugget, though, because a lot of people will think, all right, I need to have like eight co-founders going into this. Somebody's on marketing. Somebody's on design. What what are you, a moron? I don't understand. Why do you need partners? mean Part, partners for what you own nothing what does this even mean the prospect of success <laughs> no, no 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 it's my idea i'm the founder i'd like you to direct marketing i'll pay you for it and if you don't have the money then then you uh, figure something out you figure you figure yeah. something out there's always money so go 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 pick up um uh, golf balls you know for dollars <laughs> go caddy you, know, you you find a way to pay these people and and ultimately you're going to be way happier so what so you didn't want to pay this guy he probably would have taken he probably would have taken 10 grand to, to, to consult for you over the course sure. of a year because he has a regular job anyway, right? So for 10 grand, you gave away 20% of your company? Are you serious? <laughs> Are you nuts? You find the 10 grand, okay? Mm. Or you, you make it seven and you find the seven. Yeah. Like, you know, and that's what I did. I mean, I, I never considered giving away equity after that. Uh, after that. And um, I probably will never sell a piece of the company until I sold the whole thing. Wow. That's yeah. huge. That's huge. And look at the long term is so essential. So many people get caught up in the short term of like, oh my gosh, I could take this person on today and we'll do all these things and it'll be amazing. But like, and you know, you know what the answer is there? Everyone wants to own a billion dollar imaginary business, right? <laughs> Everyone wants, they want to have an e-port. Oh, I'm a, you know, one of my friends and I, we laugh all the time. I love when someone like starts a Facebook page or like they have like a, a, a business, like, oh, I'm a CEO. Ooh. I'm a director. I go, oh, I'm sorry. I'm a C. I'm 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 a CMO. Like I'm a you know I'm a vice president. Of oh my! I said, oh oh wow, you're so. He, he's really funny. He commented one time on a, on one of these posts, like you know where they went on where they went on the you know, on Facebook Live or something. Like oh, I'm the CMO of this some bullshit <laughs> Facebook page that started six months ago. And he, he who is an actual you know you know like a general, real business person. Yeah. He, <laughs> this is so interesting. Listening to this, let me ask you. Um, perspective from the c-suite and he starts you know and the person was like what <laughs> like, what do you mean you know because this is baloney you know it's not it's not making something it isn't you know you're not a CEO. i still i i sort of myself as a ceo before but i never do i'm a director i, I direct i direct the company that's it it's ceo we do two and a half million dollars a year there's no ceo that runs a business that does two and a half million dollars this is it's not enough money it's ridiculous you sound like an idiot i'll be the ceo when it's a big company then and, and even then i might reject that title because it sounds so pompous you know like wow it's, I don't like it. I really, I really don't, you know, I really, I really don't like the title. hundred percent, dude. There's just so many people out there who are playing pretend and they oh, have yeah. all their, like you said, imaginary businesses that are. Yeah. Imaginary billion, imaginary billionaires. I own an imaginary billionaire business. It's really, it's really, really cool. <laughs> oh, I, did, I love I did, that term. I did a, uh, a competition in college. It was like a grand prize, like six grams business, business idea. Sure. And I remember um, my, my Harris concept at the time, it existed. The company existed. Okay. And at the time, maybe we did a hundred grand in sales probably year one. Mm-hmm. And um, so it wasn't a great business. Like there's nothing fancy about this. Like I sell watches online and we made 50 grand this year. Like, you know, like it's kind of like, you know, you could make, be a teacher and make 50 grand. So yeah. this is not that impressive. Right. Um, but it was a real business, right? It was, it was real. It was something that could be built upon. And that's, that was my pitch. Right. Um, I'm the only person standing up here that actually has something that's real and I, I am building it. Yeah. So people, got up there and they gave these, you know, some guy wanted to be the, the next Uber, right? And, and, and no, like, like not just like the Uber of something. No, he wanted to like actually compete with Uber. <laughs> I laughed and I was like, is this fucking guy serious? Are we kidding? I remember sitting in the seat and almost being certain I wouldn't win because I said, they're going to love that. You know, the judges are going to love this, this fake billion Unreal. dollar idea and I'm going to lose because my thing is factually unimpressive. His is like, his is impressive in the imaginary world, right? So yeah. <laughs> I actually ended up winning, thank God for the judges. Um, yeah. But uh, I just remember being so like, you know, disheartened. Uh, everyone, it's, yeah. everyone gets funding too now. Everyone gets funding <laughs> and, they, and they have $3 million in their bank account and now they're rich. I'm like, no, 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 you took basically like a loan. Yeah. <laughs> You're actually in debt now. <laughs> like, you know? Or an Aspen skiing. 
Oh my God. Yeah, dude. That's yeah. There's the, there's a, there's some kind of culture going on out here. Yeah. Young people in business are the worst. Like I, I, I love, I love this, right? Like, like, you know, but by and large, so many young entrepreneurs, they're phony balonies. Mm. They want to pretend to be rich. They want to pretend to be important. Like they don't take shit from the man. That's not what this is. <laughs> this is being like, this is a totally different, all encompassing lifestyle that at least for me often wish it wasn't the case because it can be, it can really corrode other things in life because you're so all invested in it. You know, it's not, it's not a bragging point. I don't look at this as a bragging point. You know, I think it's, it's what you are and, um, and, and, and sometimes it's good and, and sometimes it really, really sucks, you know, but the, the narrative is super cool. Like, you know, I'm my own boss and I make a lot of money. You know what I mean? Like get out of here, moron. You know, I hate that. hundred percent, dude. How do you find balance in all that you do? Uh, God, uh, cured meats and wine. I mean, I, <laughs> I take my time on, you know, uh, many times during the week on enjoying a really great glass of wine or, or multiple and, and having a really good meal, um, with my family. Usually that's, that's what I love to do. Uh, I tried the whole, like, you know, going out uh, when I hired a lot of people, I, I had a lot less work. I've, I've only now, I've only now been really busy for like the last two weeks. Again, I took like, took like three months, quote unquote off. Um, not because I intentionally did it. Cause I had no, I had no work. Other people were doing my work for me. So it was, I was like in this weird zone. So mm. I, I tried to start like, you know, like dating, you know, I was trying to like go out and meet girls and I was going on and dates all the time. And I thought that that was like, that entertainment was going to be fun. That was going to balance my life. out. It was the worst. <laughs> it was so bad. Oh my God. You know, it was, it was so bad. But for me, it just comes down to, you know, enjoying really, really quality time with family and friends. Mm, 100%. All right, Christian, you've been dropping a ton of value on our listeners today. I've already learned a ton about both the watch business and your entrepreneurial journey. Um, we're going to hop into some of the questions that I like to ask all of my guests. Are you feeling ready for it? I'm ready, man. All right, perfect. The first of which is what are you excited about right now? This could be something in your business, in the wider landscape of entrepreneurship, the world. Um, what's something you're excited about? Well, as far as business is concerned, uh, I'm starting uh, the advertising uh, branch of Theo and Harris. We're all retail. Now we're doing ads. And I feel like I'm starting over again. I feel like I own a very unsuccessful, unimportant branch of a business. Hmm. So to be able to redo this which is hard and miserable is kind of in a masochistic way very fun so I'm excited. Hmm. that's very interesting that's very interesting yeah starting fresh is always is always both a, a blessing and and a, just a terrible terrible thing a miserable curse yeah but when it's over um i can say you know the retail theo and harris wasn't a fluke we did it twice you know hmm. so we'll see <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, the next thing is what habits have served you most in your life? These can be business or lifestyle. Um, good question. I don't really have all too many uh, habits. Only now I've recently like picked up like going to the gym really early or okay. things like that. Um, but as a whole, it's just this complete all encompassing emotional dedication to what I'm doing um, because you're forced to succeed. Otherwise you're miserable. It, it's, it's really, it's really bad advice. Cause you get, you can get really, you know, messed up yeah. uh, because it's, 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 it hurts. It, it sucks. But, yeah. uh, but from a build a business and be successful point of view, it does work. Cause it's like, you're standing on top of a fire. hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, are you consuming any content right now? I know you guys are putting out a lot of YouTube content, but are there any um, YouTube creators, podcasts, blogs, books that you're reading? Um, what are you consuming right now? Um, good question. I'm always consuming. I like a lot of movies. I really, uh, I really don't read books. I'm reading a book right now called Advocacy. Uh, I just started it. Um, but, uh, but no, I, I, I watch movies. I watch old movies. You know? Really? Like what kind of movies are your favorites? Um, I love, I, it's funny. I love Woody Allen. I love Martin Scorsese. I love old Scorsese movies like hmm. Mean Streets. It's one of his first films. Um, uh, Alice doesn't live here anymore. Uh, old, old, you know, 60s stuff. That, Interesting. Really beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. I, yeah, I haven't seen any movies. It's cool. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Yeah. That's, a, that's, that's one that I haven't heard before in the people that I've interviewed. So that's a, it's a cool, cool thing. Um, what's something that you do in your business? I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of these things with the vintage watch company, but like stuff that you do that has like a personal, like Theo and Harris touch or like a personal 
aspect to it that couldn't be mass produced. So quick example of what I do is I'll, uh, every, every single day I'll send like five to 10 video direct messages on Instagram to a couple random followers, just be like, Hey, what's up? My name's Apple. If there's any way that I can help you, let me know. Have a wonderful day. Um, and that's something that's not like super. That's, that's really smart. That's actually, I'm actually going to steal that. Do uh, it. I, I answer a lot of Instagram messages that are off topic. They don't really serve to benefit me in the short right. term, but more of like personal equity kind of thing yeah. and people's hearts. Um, but I, I've implemented a system that is very accommodating to people that have, that offer no money. Like they're not, it's not a sales inquiry. It's more mm -hmm. of a, Hey, we're fans or Hey, can you write my boyfriend a birthday card or stuff like oh. that? So uh, I, I definitely put um, stress on, um, on personally um, giving, uh, giving our fans attention. Hmm. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Yeah, there's, there's a lot to be said about that, that personal touch and really doing things that, that impact people. Everyone expects you to be attentive when they're offering you money, right? That's, that's a layup. I'm offering oh, yeah. you six grand. Of course I have your attention. Yeah. What are you going to give me when I'm not offering you six mm. grand? You know what I mean? So. 100%, 100%. Well, Christian, you've been dropping a ton of value on our listeners today. If they want to go find out more about you, Theo and Harris, what you are up to, where should we send them and where should they look for in the show notes to find your stuff? If, if you're interested uh, in watches, head on over to theowenharris.com or right. watch content, uh, Theo and Harris on YouTube. Um, if you're not interested in watches, if you have no, uh, if you couldn't care less about watches and there are the people out there, um, shoot me an email, info at theowenharris.com, talk about business or anything like that. Like I said before, I am very attentive and I will uh, not just do my best, but I will get back to you and we will talk about business. So I am more than happy to do that. Amazing. I'll link all of those up in the show notes below Thanks, so you guys can man. check that out and follow up with Christian over there. Christian, do you have any last words of wisdom for our listeners? Any parting thoughts that you want to leave the listeners of Young Smart Money with today? Oh yeah. And it's kind of scary. Like if, if you're listening to this and you're 18 and you think like, oh, your whole life's ahead of you and like you have so long to do business, you're wrong. You should have started three years ago. Right? Like, like 15 year olds, like those are the guys, those are the guys that are ahead of the game. Oh, right? like, like, like you're 20, you're, you're, you're on par. Like you're not that far ahead. I'm 23. I'm late. Like, like this, is, this is rough. I envy like the 15 and 14 year olds. Oh, like, oh, man. I have an idea. I'm like, okay, well, think about it for two more weeks. Make sure it's the right idea and fucking do it. Yeah. It really is getting to be too late. Sorry. <laughs> Start something. Hurry up. 100% dude I just got off a phone call with a, with a 15 year old earlier today who's crushing it. and I'm like dude I wish I was 15 again you have so many opportunities to you How much wasted time I spent oh, on God. Jordan Smith like what <laughs> like stupid time like worrying about with that girl like girls ugh no way let's build uh, business man 100% y'all get after it doesn't matter how old you are it's never too early Christian thank you so much for your time I really do appreciate it I appreciate you choosing to spend it here with our listeners on young smart money thank you again very much man thank you my friend All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Young Smart Money. Again, if you guys did enjoy the show, do remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help us get in front of more people with the show. It helps you hear from even more amazing guests. It just makes the world go round when you do smash that five-star in iTunes. And if you guys want me to shout you out in my Instagram story, I am always up for that. So if you send a screenshot of your review to Apple Crater Official on Instagram, shoot me a DM of that or just tag me in it. Would love to repost it on my short story and give y'all a shout out there. Otherwise, I hope you guys do have a wonderful day, whether you're out walking the dog, whether you are at the gym, whatever you are up to on this fine day. I hope it is a splendid one and I will see you in the next episode. Have a wonderful day. Real quick, just launched a new project called the Online Course Examiner, basically the Yelp of online courses. It is blowing up lately, onlinecourseexaminer.com. Check it out.